0: One of the paradoxes of parenting is that you're tasked with providing for a child who, under no circumstances, wants to be provided for. (laughs) Let me give you a few examples. You've got healthy, nutritious, tasty food they paid nothing for and need desperately to survive, it's on the floor in the dog's mouth, on your walls, on your face. A diaper, fresh, clean diaper, meant to prevent rash, the spread of bacteria, severe discomfort, resisted with alligator-like ferocity, friends. Warm clothing, purchased at not a low price, Uh, meant to protect from hypothermia, windburn, things like that. Pushed away as if it were a straitjacket, soaked in acid. Okay. (laughs) I'm sorry, that was a slight exaggeration. Let me be honest, I kind of crafted that uh, last week, and it just so happens that I was a single parent with our three for the past few days, so it's a pretty fitting way to open this sermon. I love my kids, I do. As parents, friends, we're called to care and provide for children who sometimes, sometimes resist our provision. But let me ask you this, parents. If your child resists enough, will you ever stop wanting to provide for them? In a similar vein here in Genesis 50, we see Joseph Who's been hated, abused, betrayed by his brothers, caring and providing for them in the end? The brothers persist in their dishonesty, even after learning of Joseph's tenderness. And in the end, he still cares for them, despite their stubborn resistance. This morning, I want to close out our series in the book of Genesis by looking at Joseph and Jesus and their call to care for those who resist them. In the end, I want to show how we have been cared for despite our resistance and to help you commit, to help us commit to caring for others in the same way. So we're going to read the text together in just a minute, and then we're going to walk through it verse by verse, concluding with some notes of application before looking toward Exodus next week. But before we do that, friends, let's take a moment to pray. Would you now pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for providing and caring for us despite our resistance We are your children, and although we should be fully developed, theoretically, Lord, at times we revert certain behaviors and habits, yet you relentlessly love us. Grace upon grace is what you show us, Lord, and Jesus, we are so thankful for you. Even though we are deep in Israelite history in these sermons, I pray that we would see you, Jesus, that you would touch us, soften our hearts, teach us what you would have us to learn this morning. Make us more like you, please. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I invite you to turn with me to Genesis 50, and we'll be reading verses 15 through 21. And like I said, this will cap off our series in the book of Genesis this summer. Uh, Next week, we'll dive into Exodus, where we'll do a similar thing, selections in Exodus for about nine weeks, I believe. But today, let's focus once more on Genesis. So Genesis chapter 50, uh, starting at verse 15, and as you are able, friends, would you stand for the reading of God's word? Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. You may be seated. In this passage, which really caps off the book of Genesis... We see Joseph caring for brothers who've done everything to not deserve such care. Even after Joseph revealed himself to them and didn't smite them, they continue to lie and deceive. Now, what I want to do now is walk through the text verse by verse, paying careful attention to Joseph and the care he extends to his brothers. And then we'll take a moment to look at Jesus before closing this morning. So let's begin with Genesis 15. You will need your Bibles open for this sermon, starting at Genesis chapter 50, verse 15. It says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. That's how the ESV puts it. The language, though, is a bit more frantic than that. And upon seeing that their father had died, the brothers of Joseph said, Joseph must hate us. He must resent us. Surely he'll retaliate against us for the evil we brought on him. In other words, there's no doubt in the brothers' minds that Joseph will exact vengeance. Now, I think this is a a classic instance of that phenomenon in hide-and-seek where the first place you check as a seeker is your favorite place to hide, right? Because the brothers themselves are vengeful, they assume that Joseph is too. Might I remind you, though, that Joseph has already revealed himself to his brothers. He's already embraced them, talked with them, wept with them. He told Pharaoh about them. He secured for them a peaceful existence in Goshen. What more could he do to show that he's truly forgiven them? The brothers, though, are scared and suspicious of Joseph. They're unwilling, and I think unable, to accept that He could forgive them so completely. How sad is this, friends? Yet this is so common in our world today, still. Sinful habits not only harm creation and our very own selves, but they harden our hearts so we become less able to receive forgiveness from others. The brothers of Joseph, in other words, have so given in to sin throughout their lives that they're unable to accept forgiveness, and they resort to suspicion and fear. The text goes on. In verse 16, it says that they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. This means that they didn't approach their brother in person, as trusting siblings normally would. They sent a message to Joseph through an intermediary from a distance. They're so hardened by sin, so crippled by suspicion, that they won't even approach him. This reminds me of the story of Jacob and Esau just a few chapters before, especially the point at which Jacob prepares to meet Esau again. Remember that story? Jacob is racked with fear and anxiety, thinking that Esau will attack him and his household because of what he had done to him in stealing the blessing and the birthright. But in the end, Esau... The thoughtless, impulsive Esau who chose the stew over the birthright, Esau embraced his brother Jacob and forgave him. If only the brothers of Joseph remembered that family story. Well, the command that their father allegedly gave before he died is given to us in verse 17, verse 17. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. But, friends, never in the book of Genesis do we see these words on the lips of Jacob. The narrator is giving us every reason to think that this is pure invention. Pure invention. After quoting the apparent words of their father, Jacob, who, might I add, is called your father when they first addressed Joseph, not our father, yikes, the brothers utter the following words of their own. And again, again, this is through a messenger, an intermediary. They say, now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. The physical, and I would say linguistic, distance between the brothers and Joseph, it underscores their relational distance that the suspicion has generated between them. It's for this reason, I think, that Joseph weeps. It says he weeps loudly when they spoke to him. Now, if you've read Genesis you probably know that Joseph weeps a number of times in the book. Uh, the first comes in chapter 42, when Joseph is in Egypt, in second in command in Egypt, and he's not recognized as Joseph, and his brothers come down looking for food because it's a time of famine, and he accuses his brothers of being spies, all part of his ruse, And he puts them in custody for three days, and Reuben, the firstborn of the brothers, the oldest, he says, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? Referring all the way back to chapter 37, when they threw Joseph into a pit, didn't I tell you not to do that? But you didn't listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. That is what Reuben says. And Right after that, the text says, Joseph turned away from them and wept. He wept in chapter 42. Well, it happens again in chapter 43, when Benjamin, who is Joseph's only full brother, brother who was born from the same mother, Rachel, when Benjamin is finally brought to Joseph, it says, when he saw him, Joseph hurried out and wept. He wept. And then again in chapter 45, after Judah... So Judah is the tribe of Israel from which the Messiah and all the kings of Israel would come, a significant figure. Judah gives this long speech telling Joseph, who he still doesn't recognize as Joseph, that he would remain in Egypt as a slave so that their brother Benjamin could go back to their father. There it says, Joseph wept aloud, so loud that the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. So, throughout Genesis, Joseph weeps out of compassion and love, especially for Benjamin and his father Jacob. But he also weeps in vexation, frustration, as he witnesses the, the turmoil and the kind of logical footwork that goes on in his brothers' minds. Now, this should remind you of another figure in Scripture who is moved emotionally, both by compassion and frustration with others. I'll give you just a moment to think about that. Well, Moving on to verse 18, it says that his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. The word also, his brothers also came, which can be translated even, they even came, it indicates that up to this point, only messengers had gone to Joseph. The brothers hadn't come out of fear, but now, however, they do come. And it says that they fling themselves before Joseph, which perfectly fulfills his dreams from before in chapter 37. Now, we didn't go through those texts in a sermon, but Joseph had some dreams in Genesis 37. And when he told the dreams to his brothers, when he described them, they hated him even more. They were jealous of him, thought he was arrogant. And the text says that, Behold, this is the dream being described. We were binding sheaves in the field, and my sheaf, that is Joseph's, arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. That's the first dream. And then he dreamed another dream. Again, reaching back to chapter 37. And he told it to his brothers and he said, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And his brothers were jealous of him. But it says his father Jacob kept the saying in mind. Well, now we're at the end of Genesis chapter 50, and we see Joseph, second in command in Egypt, in charge of all the sheaves, all the grain in the land. And we see his 11 brothers come down from Canaan in the north and literally fling themselves before him. We are your slaves, is what they say assuming still that he will smite them for the evil they've done. And their behavior in all of this is vexing, troubling for Joseph. But their behavior perfectly fulfills God's plan. Well, moving on then to verse 19. Here Joseph finally speaks. Finally. And utters a now classic phrase in biblical literature: do not fear. Do not fear. The only occurrence of this phrase before this in the Bible is when Rachel is giving birth to Benjamin, Joseph's brother, and she's in labor pangs, and the midwife says, Do not fear. This is the second time in the entire biblical narrative that we see, do not fear. That phrase, though, occurs at least 37 times, 37 times in the Bible, and from the lips of some rather significant figures. Let me just name a couple. The Lord God himself says it, do not fear, in Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, and elsewhere. Boaz says it to Ruth. Jonathan says it to David. David says it to that relative of Saul, Mephibosheth. Elijah says it to the widow at Zarephath. Isaiah says it to King Ahaz. And of course, the angel Gabriel says it to Joseph and Mary Do not fear. Well, our Joseph then goes on to say, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? In other words is it for me to exact vengeance to deliver justice to repay evil with evil no centuries perhaps millennia before the christian notion of non-retaliation joseph is echoing words that you find in luke's gospel 1st thessalonians romans 1st peter and elsewhere Never avenge yourselves, the Apostle Paul says, Romans 12, but rather leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. It's like Joseph read Romans. (laughs) His thinking is right on paradigm with that of the earliest Christians. Am I in the place of God? Do I have the right to seek vengeance? The answer, according to Genesis, is no. No. Well, in verse 20, we get the most profound statement, I think, in the book of Genesis, and one of the most profound theological statements in all of Scripture. Genesis 50, verse 20. So Joseph is looking back on his whole life starting with those dreams he had, being hated by his brothers, favored by his father, looking back on that cloak of many colors that he wore, being thrown into the pit, looking back on uh, being sold into slavery in Egypt, living in the house of Potiphar, being thrown into prison, rising the ranks into the palace with Pharaoh. And Joseph says, you, you intended evil against me, God intended good. There's no but, no yet, no although. There's just two seemingly contradictory statements placed right next to each other in Hebrew parallelism. One statement does not cancel out the other. Those two statements, in other words, don't compete for space. You intended evil, truly and fully. God intended good. Both realities completely true. He goes on, God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. As we'll see, friends, Egypt becomes a kind of nursery for the people of Israel. No way could the twelve tribes have survived up north in the famine-struck land of Canaan. They needed a place to go to be preserved, to be nurtured, and Egypt became that place. The land of Goshen became the perfect sanctuary for these people to proliferate and grow. And only because Joseph was in charge was this possible. Now, one thing I meant to say last week was that the human actors in our story, so Jacob, the brothers, the slave traders, Joseph, they could have made completely different choices. And I think God's purposes would have still been fulfilled. In other words, the brothers could have beaten Joseph up and put him in a thicket in the woods rather than a cistern, a pit. And God's purposes would have still been fulfilled. The traders who came by and and sold him into slavery in Egypt, they could have sold him into slavery in Mesopotamia. And somehow, God's purposes would have still been fulfilled. I believe that. Now, we, of course, see only what did happen and how God used this for his purposes... But it isn't as though we have to make certain specific choices for God's will to be accomplished, friends. No. We have the freedom to make real decisions. And while some of those decisions may harm people more than others, no decision can ultimately thwart God's will. So there's that. (laughs) Well, verse 21 Again, Joseph says, do not fear. Do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones, is what he says. Wow. These brothers nearly killed him. They sold him into slavery. Utterly transformed the trajectory of his life. And even after they've reunited, they still lie to him and deceive him with this fake command of their fathers. Yet he still provides for them and cares for them. In the end, it says that Joseph comforted them and spoke kindly to them. In Hebrew, what it literally says is he spoke to their heart, directly to their heart. In other words, he doesn't bite his lip and do his brotherly duty because they're bound by blood. He doesn't act one way but really think another. He truly loves and cares for them. He's forgiven them in his heart of hearts. How remarkable is this, (laughs) Francis? In the end, Joseph cares and provides, I'd say relentlessly, for people who still resist him. And I think this sounds an awful lot like Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, as we know, cares and provides for sheep that are stubborn and resistant. I know because I am one of them. Jesus tries to give us food, change our diapers, help get us dressed, and boy, do we resist him. Yet like a parent with a child, he never stops caring for us. Even when we resist and distrust him, I'll put Willa down to change her diaper and And she looks at me with distrust. I'll tell you, what are you doing, Dad? Jesus tries to care for us, protect us, and we squirm, we writhe, we resist, and yet He keeps on loving us. If you read the Gospel narratives, you'll see that even after the death and resurrection of Jesus, after everything He said would happen, happened, there are still disciples who distrust Him. Yet he keeps on loving them. Friends, what can we learn from the example of Joseph and from that of Jesus? I think as Christians, we're called to care and provide, like Joseph, for people who resist us. Whether it be people in the world, people in our families even people in the church. If we follow in the footsteps of Joseph and Jesus, that means caring even especially for those who resist us, as hard as that may be. In all of this, we ought not to forget that we have been just like these brothers, throwing Jesus not into a pit per se, but onto a cross, onto a cross. Yet in the end, Jesus both forgives and cares for us, even as we continue to resist him. This morning, what I want to do is encourage you to think about the ways in which you may be resisting Jesus. And to think about the people in your life who continue to resist you or the people whom you resist. Like Joseph, like Jesus, we are called to care and provide especially for these people. It's a tall order, I know. But as the book of Genesis and as the life of Jesus show... I think it is God's mission for us today. In closing then, friends, let us continue this morning caring for those who resist, those who distrust us, and let's support one another as we walk this, at times, very difficult path. Let's pray. Jesus, thank You for Your mercy, Your relentless love, continuing to feed us and guide us and shear us as we do nothing but bite You, Lord. You are so gracious, so merciful. Help us to bite You less, and help us to be soft and sensitive to allow you to lead us to life everlasting. Lord, help us to be that for others as well, to love them even if they resist us, and to shine the light of Christ in this world through our life as a church. Be with us as we continue to worship you, be glorified, please, by our worship of you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.